Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where it is you're listening. This is Dan Turchin, CEO of People Rain and host of AI and the Future of Work. It's Wednesday, the 29th of April, 2020. The past few weeks, I've been sharing a bit about what's going on in my world. We're all dealing with being together while being apart in our own ways. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing to stay positive, just know you are not alone. This week, I'm reintroducing Tess Posner, CEO of AI for All. I so much enjoyed our conversation last November that I'm resharing it to ensure as many listeners as possible are aware of the great work Tess and her team are doing. The past few weeks, we've been talking about what leaders do in a crisis. Tess and her team are putting on a masterclass. How's this for leadership? In the past six weeks alone, AI for All has released a new open learning course about AI and COVID-19 for students and educators. I started listening and it's fantastic. The team published a new curriculum on sentiment analysis and natural language processing. They made more than 65 hours of AI curricula and teaching guides available for free at olp.ai-4-all.org. See a link to that in the show notes. They've transitioned most of their 2020 high school summer internships online, and they're still accepting applications for ones that haven't yet been filled. And all of this while shifting the entire team to fully remote work. Tess is a force of nature. We need more leaders like her who see opportunities in the crisis, not to help themselves, but to help others in need. In Tess's case, she's on a mission to bring AI education to high school students around the world. This week, we think about the more than a million Americans and 3.2 million humans across the globe who have contracted the coronavirus. We also think about the roughly 35% of college students with committed summer internships who have recently been told that their internships were canceled. We think about the cascading impact of the pandemic on every chef, clerk, factory worker, teacher, parent, and yeah, even intern. Over the next eight weeks, we'll be returning to work, but it won't be like it was before. The new workplace will involve less air travel, more temperature checks when we enter buildings, less water cooler chit chat, and probably fewer water coolers. Densely packed cubicle farms will become cubicle deserts. And we should get used to work shifts where certain teams will work in certain buildings on certain days. Bars and restaurants will reopen, but they'll feel less social with more distance and we'll all be required to wear face masks. Expect more virtual offsites and more perks related to mental health services. Preparing for the new world of work requires becoming more comfortable with technology. It will track your health, trace your contacts, and tell you when you can be in which office and for how long. It will seem intrusive. It will seem like a violation of your civil liberties. Most important, it will require a new generation of leaders to understand how it works, train employees to use it, and communicate how data is stored and shared, and why it's important to ensure that we flatten the second curve starting now. It's important to me that everyone listening hears Tess's vision for the future of AI education. It is more relevant than ever as we contemplate the role of AI 
for next generation leaders who will define how we influence work and how it influences us. As you listen, think about a student you know who has been directly or indirectly impacted by the coronavirus and consider the importance of an AI education. The leaders we mentor today will launch the technologies and build the teams and create the cultures that will endure for decades ahead. We're all responsible for participating in this conversation now because we'll all benefit from the innovation it will inspire. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy this discussion with Tess Posner from AI for All. The following audio discussion is episode 12 of Astound's podcast series, AI and the Future of Work. Host Dan Turchin, co-founder and chief product officer of Astound, interviews Tess Posner, CEO of AI for All, about her perspective on how to mitigate AI bias in hiring practices and how AI for All graduates benefit the community. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're joining us from. This is Dan Turchin, co-founder of Astound and host of AI and the Future of Work, here today with a fantastic guest. Tess Posner is the CEO of AI for All, someone whose work has inspired me. Tess, welcome to the show. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. Uh, my name is Tess Posner, and I'm the CEO of AI for All, and really, really excited to be on the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about AI for All and kind of your journey at the helm and kind of the, the, the mission of the organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, ever since I started my career, I've been really passionate and excited about the role of education, and that really morphed into an interest in how technology is changing education and changing what people need to do to get prepared to succeed in today's world. So for the past seven years or so, I've been working on education and technology and really where that intersects with equity issues and access issues in the economy. And one of the biggest trends that we're seeing right now is with artificial intelligence, which many call the driver of the fourth industrial revolution, it's growing at an accelerating rate, and people are using it in their everyday lives in often invisible ways. And this technology is really at the beginning of how it's going to change our, our lives and the economy and pretty much every industry. At the same time, we see globally there's a diversity crisis in AI, and only 14% of AI practitioners are women globally. And that's actually even worse than what you see in the tech sector more broadly. So with such a critical technology that's going to change people's lives and is being used in things like hiring, um, credit scoring and financial access, criminal risk assessment, um, it can't just be developed by a few and shaped by a few. It has to be developed by people that represent those that would be using it. And I think that's really critical for the future of AI and ensuring that there's a good outcome um, with the technology and it can live up to its potential. So our mission at AI for All is to really ensure this inc more inclusive approach and try to address this diversity inclusion crisis in the field. As the father of two young girls, I'm really, really happy that AI for All exists and just certainly, like you, feel really um, passionate about, about the mission. Now, when we were getting to know each other, 
Um, I was really inspired by some of the programs that AI for All supports and promotes mentorship, summer programs, you know, internship opportunities. Could you share with us one, one story, maybe one, one life that you feel AI for All changed, just to give the listeners a sense of the kind of impact that your team is making? Absolutely. And just to take a step back, we focus on, we actually start in high school. So we believe that it's really important for young people to have these skills and really get exposure to AI and not just the technology itself, but also thinking about its impact and building critical thinking skills around that. Um, You know, technology is a tool. And so really a good um, way to ensure that that tool is used well is to build those types of skills that people can think through how should this tool be used? Um, How should it impact the world or how will it impact the world? And how can we make sure that that's in a positive direction um, and also understanding some of the unintended consequences? So I'm really proud of of our programs and my team that works with our, our young people because it's really tapping into the skill sets, the passion, and the interest of young people and sharing with them really the tool of AI and how it can be used to solve problems. So we run AI summer camps and other education and mentorship programs to connect young people with technologists in the field and build project-based skills so that they can learn how to apply AI to solve problems that they care about, while also exposing them to the potential risks like how to mitigate bias, how to think about how this technology might be used in a, in a potentially negative way. So, so many stories to share. Um, we, have, we see that students after the program go on to start their own AI projects and are really passionate about sharing this knowledge with others. So they start AI clubs at their schools or hackathons. So it's really amazing to see the kind of organic impact that the students have and already starting to see the future impact that they're going to have on the field. So many stories to choose from, but I'll just share one. Um, Stephanie, who went through our AI summer camp a couple of years ago, she grew up in um, an agricultural community in California, um, grew up as the daughter of farm workers. And she was really passionate about using AI to address water quality issues, um, which is something that directly impacted her community, but it's also something that affects the global community as well. And so she worked on AI research to solve that problem and has gone on to have internships and is just on a really amazing pathway. She's also started AI clubs, not just at her high school, but also at her middle school. And so it's really people like that that give me so much hope for the future because they're already showing this leadership at such an early age and showing that this technology, when used correctly, can be a source of positive change. That's an amazing story. I'd love to meet her at some point. It's a good example of, of the value that you're, uh, that you're creating. Now, when you think about the kind of current educational system that I think you could credibly argue um, is perfectly designed to reinforce some of the uh, biases that you know permeate the workforce. If you could wave the magic wand and kind of quote fix the broken education system, um, what what are the things that you would do? Kind of seen through the lens of you know a, a future that increasingly is going to involve AI driven automation. Yeah, it's a really good question. And actually, I started my very first job out of college was working in New York City public schools. 
And it was something that as a young, you know, early 20s, (laughs) idealistic person, I thought, oh, wow, there's so much that needs to change. And it is such a hard thing to change. There is no magic wand. Um, There's so many people that are doing incredible work to try to make more systemic change in the education system. Um, Teachers that are working so hard for their students. And it's such a complex and large system that involves so many different moving parts. So part of my learning was how hard it is to to change such a complex system. But if I had a magic wand, I think number one, um, before I would even talk about curriculum, I would think about access to resources. Um, You know, the school system in the U.S. specifically is very unevenly resourced. And what that means is that where you go to school ends up determining so much of your future. And that's just unfair because you happen to be born in one zip code um, and your school happens to be lower resourced. And a lot of times there's amazing people working in those schools who are still doing great work, but they're under-resourced and understaffed. Um, And so from the very basic equity perspective, it's broken. Um, And then on top of that, you have only 40% of schools teaching computer science And the schools that tend to teach computer science are the ones that are more um, well-resourced. So you have this like digital divide on top of this resource divide, and that's hugely problematic. In addition, most of those schools that are teaching computer science aren't teaching things like AI or data literacy or these pieces that are going to be the future of technology. So um, those are some of the issues that we face, and AI for All is very much complementary. We're trying to provide teachers, for example, with AI curriculum to ensure that they have access to teaching this if they want to, because there's a lot of passionate teachers that are like, I want to teach AI, but there's not necessarily curriculum offered. Um, So that's really one of the gaps that we're trying to fill as well as offering these summer camps to students that have a deeper interest and want to kind of have this more intensive experience over the summer. Well said. I think one of the beliefs that you and I share is that kind of, you know, graduating informed kind of workplace ready citizens for the next generation involves more like probably what, what we both call, you know, a digital literacy. Um, What is, what is the difference to you between call it digital literacy and, you know, coding skills? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I I think that digital literacy is a larger bucket that encompasses things like even more basic skills in coding. Um, I used to work for a digital literacy program where we worked to try to close the digital divide, especially in rural areas. And some of the things that you'd see in outside of Silicon Valley are things like bandwidth issues. And so it's like, oh, well, you can sign on to YouTube and take some YouTube courses and learn a a new skill. But if people don't even have the bandwidth to watch a YouTube video um, anywhere in their surrounding area, there's stats from Pew Research that show that 50% of low-income households in the U.S. don't have access to Internet. So what, what I saw through that experience was you know, challenges even even navigating a computer, things that we take for granted, like, oh, okay, well, everyone uses a computer, which 
is definitely more true than it used to be, but is still unevenly divided. So to me, digital literacy is a broader concept that really is about what do you need to just navigate in our increasingly digital world, even if you don't want to go into coding or something more um, technical. So that is absolutely a basic skill that we're failing our young people by not providing that across the board. It should be essential and you need it to even, you know, apply for a job in today's world or to navigate any kind of system in our society is, is involving the internet. So um, I think that that's really critical before you even get into anything like coding. Um, and I think that that's changing, you know, like you're saying digital literacy and what is needed is rapidly evolving. So how do we keep up with that change? People now need to know things that even five years ago were not the case. So I think that's a big challenge in the education system, too, is just this rapid evolution of what skills and what um, realities are happening in the digital world. That 50% statistic is uh, disturbing. Uh, I hope that we've got a lot of influential listeners <laughs> to today's podcast who are out there and, and uh, are, are going to help us change that. You've accomplished a ton before and obviously during your, your tenure at AI for All, and I know you have an, an ambitious agenda. Um, what would you say are, are of your accomplishments, what are you most proud of? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, there's so many stories that I can share about our students, and that for sure is at the top of my list. We see that our young people, after leaving AI for All, are building tools that track the spread of wildfires, or like the example we talked about earlier, address water quality issues. Uh, we've seen our young people build tools for helping kids with autism, diagnosing MS, um, making surgeons more precise. And these are all real AI research projects that our students have done. Um, additionally, they, there's like this organic network effect that we see, which is really interesting. So on average, every one AI for All student teaches AI to 10 more on average. That's through like starting clubs or hackathons. And I think that that's a really amazing example of how there's this network effect that if we provide access and really exposure to these tools, it's going to have um, these kind of ripple effects that we don't even understand. And I firmly believe that will lead to a better outcome with the technology because we'll have more interesting set of problems being addressed, more diverse life experiences that see needs, um, which is really, to me, what's exciting about technology. It's that it can solve problems. And I think our young people, you know, have so much fire and passion that it kind of sparks that together. Like, how does this become rocket fuel for the problems that I want to solve. So to me, that's what I'm really proud of and just keeps me inspired every single day. So many people are losing hope about the future, but I feel very lucky to be able to see why, you know, hope is not just possible, but is all around us if we just know how to tap into it. I'm glad that you and the team are out there just forcing the conversation. 
it doesn't happen on its own. So I know there are a lot of specific accomplishments, but to me, just forcing the conversation is so necessary. Um, so let's say you're in front of a you know a classroom of students and kind of introducing them to some of the services, and uh, you know you're kind of coaching them about the skills that they're going to need to be you know to have a meaningful impact in a workplace that you know increasingly you know involves a lot of AI related technologies. What are the skills that you'd say you know high school kids should be cultivating, and then which are which kind of maybe traditional skills that we've taught in high school are maybe less less relevant in you know kind of the next decade or twenty years? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I think that one of the most important skills that anyone can develop, but especially starting in high school, is how to learn. Which may sound strange because um, there's so many other things that that you're learning in high school. But this ability to teach yourself and to learn is going to serve you well throughout your whole career. Because we live in a world that's changing so quickly, everyone needs to be able to quickly learn new skills as the economy changes. So thinking about what's your learning style, what helps you learn, how can you get the help that you need, and really building that skill, I think, is so important. Um, I would say definitely math and computer science are so important. Even if you don't want to go into something technical, those are really critical for so many other fields. So I would say that, you know, even if you kind of like I did in high school, I said, I'm not really that good at math. So I'm not really going to take um, technical classes and I'm just going to kind of discount this. And then in college, I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm really interested in math, especially the more theoretical applications. And I ended up um, really focusing a lot of my coursework on math. And I was really glad that I did that, but I wish I'd started it earlier. Um, and so I think not selecting yourself out too soon of areas that you might say, oh, I'm not so good at that. But everyone feels intimidated by new subjects, especially technical subjects. That's kind of just what they're all about. It's really about solving problems, and a problem wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't hard. So making sure that you're not um, screening yourself out of something too early, that really technology is can be for everyone. Not necessarily you want to become a technologist, but everyone needs these skills. And then the last thing I would say is find your passion. Um, that's the most important thing of all, really, because in order to succeed in the world, we have to be fed by what we're doing and have a sense of purpose. And that's something that I definitely found in high school. I took a uh, trip to help this community after an earthquake. And working with the community and working with families, it completely changed my life. And I realized that my purpose was around social impact and working in this field. And if I hadn't really followed that and tapped into it, I wouldn't be where I am today and, and so fulfilled and happy by what I'm doing. So find your passion, follow that, and don't be afraid to take risks for in service for that passion. Great example um, and good, good advice. So um, one of the things that uh, is probably a topic for a whole separate podcast, but if we could squeeze in, I'd like to get your, your, your thoughts on this. Um, you know, we, we all talk about uh, algorithm bias 
And when you think about it through the lens of, you know, hiring processes, I think, you know, it's pr pretty well appreciated now that um, automated or AI assisted hiring processes have a tendency to screen out underrepresented candidates because of the nature of the data that is fed into the AI models. What are your perspectives on how do we coach employers to mitigate for some of the kind of inherent potential for AI bias in things like hiring practices? Absolutely. I mean, thank you for bringing that up. I think it's super important. And we see it in a lot of areas, not just hiring. But I think the main thing is like, if you're a company that's using AI, really asking the critical questions about it. For example, how is it trained? What data has been used to train it? And we can't get rid of bias. Bias is inherent in every single person, as well as every single data set. But we can mitigate the impact. So if there's a homogenous data set that the AI has been trained on, it's going to mirror those same, um, the same homogeneity, unless that's addressed. So I would say in the product lifecycle of building AI algorithms or as a company that's consuming um, or contracting with companies that are building AI tools, asking the right questions and making sure that there's a bias mitigation plan in place and doing risk assessments. And some people might think, well, that slows things down, but it's a lot better to take the time to understand that risk and it'll save you time, money, and truly like ethics issues later on. Um, so I think with any application of AI, we have to be cognizant of those issues and use our critical thinking skills to first of all assess, do we even need AI? AI is a tool that we don't necessarily need to use in all the situations that we're talking about it. It is a really powerful tool in certain areas, and it's definitely growing in complexity and efficacy. Um, but then if we decide, yes, we want to use AI, how are we going to use it well so that it has the maximum value and minimum risk? I think it's incumbent on all vendors that have AI-related products to publish some equivalent of an AI scorecard, you know, essentially be transparent about how the algorithms work, to your point, you know, where the source data came from, how it was cleaned, to be able to provide some kind of transparency with regard to how the automated decisions were made. Um, and yeah, very consistent with the points you made. I think that's really a pattern that needs to be well established for, for anyone who is providing AI-based solutions, particularly to aid things like hiring or like to your earlier point, decisions about, you know, financial products, things like that. Now, Tessa, the, the time has flown by. I, I, I only have time for one more question. It feels like we're just getting started, but I, I, I would like <laughs> I to know. leave. But one last question I'd love, love to have our listeners hear your perspective on. So roll back the clock, 10, 15, 20 years. What's, what's the advice that you would give a younger version of Tess? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, well, I'd say it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I think this type of work can be challenging because there's so many complexities to it. And unfortunately, I've seen people in my field um, burnout. And whether it's like technology itself or in the social impact space, um, yeah, there's a lot of problems to solve in the world. And so taking time for self-care, I think, 
would definitely be what I would tell my, my earlier self and just pacing myself <laughs> and that, you know, leaning on your network. Um, we have some really amazing partners now at AI for all, and I'm so grateful to thinking about this as an ecosystem of people together that are making the change. And it's not all on one organization or one group of people or one person to, to move that needle. Good perspective. Before I let you go, I'd love for you to share anything that you'd like from our listeners specifically related to how they can support the mission of AI for All. Absolutely. So a couple of different ways. If you know a high school or a high school student, we have AI summer camps that are going to be opening their applications um, in the next couple of months. And we have those all over the United States and Canada. Um, we also have our AI for All open learning program which is a free curriculum resource for teachers and high school students. Um, and so if you know somebody that wants to incorporate AI into what they're teaching, we have some um, programs that actually don't require any technical skills at all. So we have English teachers who are incorporating it, which is really exciting. Um, lastly, if you're a company that's hiring AI talent or you need AI interns, AI for All has an amazing, as you've heard about today, an amazing group of young, young talent that is um, ready to, to go. And so if you're interested in hiring for internships or for full-time roles, please get in touch with us. We'd love to talk with you. Thank you. And uh, there, there you have it, the great Tess Posner from AI for All. Uh, that concludes another episode of AI in the Future of Work. I'm inspired. I hope you are as well. We will be back here next week with another fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, Tess. For more AI and the Future of Work episodes, visit Stitcher, Buzzsprout, and iTunes. 